Hi and welcome back to Konst. Konst is a podcast by Scandinavian Mind about contemporary and future art. The interconnection with society, culture, technology, finance and lifestyle. The outlook is primarily at the art world from a Scandinavian perspective, although taking into account the global arena of artists, exhibitions, trade fairs and other current events. So I'm sitting here, uh, it's uh, boiling hot and for a Swede, you know, you, you, you feel uh, quite unused to that. I should not complain, but I'm sitting here super happy to be back after the uh, long, long summer vacation. And my guest today on the show, super excited, is Saskia Neumann. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Are you also boiling hot today? I mean, I don't want to become too graphic, but yeah, it's moist, it's sweaty, it's dripping. It's all those words that people always go, oh, it's my, it's the word I like the least. Yeah, it's pretty gross, but we shouldn't complain because we have a long winter ahead of us. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, there's so many reasons why I'm excited to have you uh, with me today, but just for the readers uh, or listeners. Apologies. I just want to give uh, them an opportunity to kind of um, understand who you are and why you're on the show. So Saskia has had a long career in the art industry. She's been CEO of Market Art Fair, the largest uh, trade fair, uh, trade art fair in, uh, in Scandinavia. She's been working as a director with uh, Absolute Art Award, which is basic. It was basically an extension of Absolute Vodka's uh, engagement in the art industry. She's worked uh, across Europe uh, in, in numerous um, positions in the art industry. She's a contributing writer to Vogue Scandinavia, New Era, Scandinavian Mind, a colleague of mine, you could say then, art lover and many others. But uh, what excites me the most is that she is now opening Saskia Neumann Gallery, uh, where she is going to represent uh, Nordic and internationally based artists. Uh, and she's going to build up an exhibition program that reflects a strong focus on early and mid-career artists, often previously not exhibited in Sweden or in our kind of commercial space. Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited, Saskia. Uh, where do we want to start here in, in our conversation? Um, what about the gallery? Let's start there. Are you Please. excited? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it becomes, it's almost cheesy, but of course, I'm incredibly excited. I am it's been a life, lifelong, it sounds slightly long-winded, but it really has been a lifelong uh, dream of mine to open my own space. Um, and people have often said, you know, on the fly, like, oh, you know, you should, well, maybe you should have a space one day. Often when I'm complaining about something that I've seen in another institution or some, or some, or another gallery when I've, or something like that. And I, I'm really, really excited. It's, it took a very long time and a fair amount of gumption to, to take the leap and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Hmm. So this is interesting. So why did it take such a long time? <laughs> Maybe you don't want to unbox that. but uh, No, yeah. no, I, I don't mind at all. Um, no, it, I mean, because it's, it's uh, scary is the wrong word because, you know, in the world there are actual real scary things. Like I think about what's going on now in between like famine in Yemen or Ukraine. So everything is obviously relative, but for, for a young person and especially a woman, uh, I think any new endeavor can be slightly daunting and uh, regardless of how much experience you have or how much support you have. And 
the art market, like so many other creative industries, is is never stable. Sometimes it's going really, really well, and sometimes it goes really, really badly. Also, I mean, I am, I am uh, starting <laughs> opening a gallery. What seems to be like a, a new recession, mm. which you know, obviously was not was not the plan. But financials aside, I'm you know to believe in yourself and to believe in the artists you want to work with and to hopefully believe in that there is a public both nationally and internationally that would be interested and excited not only in terms of purchasing power and and but just in general to support the gallery is it can be scary and with that said i felt like yeah it's now or never i mean and then there's a lot of practical reasons just finding a space in stockholm mm -hmm. took me almost over a year and a half to find the right mm -hmm. place to open um then we live in a country, uh, we live in Sweden, where it, you know, bureau the bureaucracy is fairly simple. It's not like Germany, where yeah. you have to stand in line and get different paper stamps. So all of that was, you know, pretty easy. But, but just the, uh, the to have the sort of n no knowledge and uh, and to be forth with forthcoming enough to say like, oh, to go up to artists that you've been following and having in a dialogue with for a long time and being like, look, believe in me, I believe in you, let's do this together. And yeah, it takes courage. And I'm not saying that I'm courageous. Um, there's so many more people around the world, and especially within the art world, that are much more courageous. The artists, first, first and foremost. But yeah, I, I, it, it took, it was a long time coming, but it, it was a little scary. So, but how much, uh, let's say, financial stability do you need to open a gallery in 2022 in, in, in a space like Stockholm? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily financial stability, but you need some resources. Obviously, it all depends on the physical space, but I think there are certain things that that um, have sort of changed over the last couple of years, just with in terms of uh, like the housing market and spaces, and obviously, you, you know, to to rent a large space, you sort of you need. Um, or any space really these days, you need a certain amount of capital so that you'll be um, uh, approved by a board or mm -hmm. your, your landlord. I mean, those kind of more practical things. And so that that I think requires a, a little bit of a little bit of capital. I I can't say to to how much because I think it's very individual. Yeah. But um, but I mean, if you if you find so that's all that's dependent on like where where you want to be and what your space wants to look like and what you want to do with it. But in terms of the uh, the capital in being able to start a program, that's not based on financials. That's based mm. on, um, you know, passion, intuition, relationships with the artists, all the rest mm. of it. I think the money comes in as soon as you start talking like physicality of like, where are we going to be? What do we need to do? That kind mm. of stuff. And what about uh, the role of the gallerist as a supporter to artists? Are you going to take on that role as well? Kind of, uh, yeah, so that also requires, I mean, I'm sorry if I get stuck a bit on the financials, but it's just interesting also, I guess, for listeners to understand what are the mechanics behind the, the, the art sure. scene, right? So, uh, yes, okay, so you have some fixed costs, uh, setting up the gallery space, finding the location, all these things. And then the role of the traditional gallerist is to support the artist, right? Uh, so yes. in what ways will you support the artists? And um, then we can maybe unbox a little bit which artists you're going to work with. Sure. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty traditional in that sense. And I also come from a, 
an art world and an upbringing in which a gallery represents artists. I really believe in that model. That's, and that's not to say that I don't believe that there shouldn't be other models. I think it's fantastic that you have project spaces and more uh, kind of uh, like art spaces that are uh, prime that primarily do like one show at a time, different projects also deal in secondary market. I think all of that is ne necessary for a, a healthy ecosystem uh, within the art world or within the art industry. But um, I do believe that the role of the gallerist is to be support to support and represent an artist. Um, I will obviously be doing that by having exhibitions at the gallery, but also, you know, you you make sure you place work in, in with great collectors, introduce them to new collectors, new constellations, institutions, help them when it comes to production, not necessarily only the financial aspects of production, but also the sort of the guidance or the dialogue that you can provide with an artist in when it comes to producing new work and and how to go about things. And, you know, in Swedish, you say bollplank to be that like wall in which they can bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Okay. So, so that, um, that is clear. And, and uh, the role of the traditional gallerist, uh, I mean, you are a strong supporter, obviously I've, I've touched the topic, uh, in previous episodes. I myself a bit not conflicted, but I'm kind of keeping my mind open to new, to new models. Um, in particular, what I find um, a bit troublesome is, um, yeah, I mean, basically the percentage that the galleries take, you know, it's, it's traditionally it's been 50-50 or even worse for the artist. And uh, especially in the last uh, three to five years, many, many artists have found a way to sell directly to uh, buyers, uh, uh, especially through Instagram and maybe also other platforms. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, why? I mean, what what else? Uh, what what other benefits does a traditional galleries bring? Oh well, you know, I think I don't think it's my um, my job or my role to advocate for all gallerists or to advocate that gallerists or is the only to have to work with a gallery is the only way to to uh, exhibit or promote your work. So I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take that role on because I mm. think then we become into a, like a, a sort of ping pong match where I'm like, well, this is what a gallery can do for mm. you, and this mm. is what a gallery can do for you. Um, I believe that a, a gallery and uh, a good gallerist can provide an artist or artists in general with a lot of uh, stability and support, mm. not only when it's going well, but also perhaps when it's not going as well. And that's not only financial support, but in uh, to help help an artist in several different ways. And I also look at the space that I'm about to open as not only a store. It's not only a shop. It's not only some place where you go and you see an exhibition and hopefully either purchase something or get inspired or yeah. want to do an exhibition with that artist. I also see this space as a place where people meet. And I think and and exchange ideas and i'm i'm very excited to sort of bring my my gallery into a new era of how you relate to a, a contemporary gallery i think we often imagine galleries with a very high threshold of like oh i don't know am i welcome can i go in and i think what i've learned and also from previous experiences and primarily working actually at the absolute company mm. is that there is a way to create an inviting 
and attainable environment within contemporary art, but not uh, dumbing anything down and not bringing and not uh, simplifying things. And I think I'm very eager to create that environment in, mm -hmm. in the gallery that I'm about to open. And so I think it, it'll be really exciting to see what we can do beyond the exhibition program as well. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, the classic art uh, artist talk. I think there's a lot of different ways you can activate a space and try new things and invite interesting people to come in and do, whether it's performance or different kinds of discussions mm -hmm. that ultimately benefits the artist, but also benefits the community. I mean, in saying that I am not, this is not a philanthropic endeavor. This no, course, is definitely yeah. about selling art. But I think there's ways in which you can go about it that um, elevate the role of what it means to be a gal to have a gallery, but also to have representation as an artist. Mm. And listen, I mean, this conversation is not meant to put you on the spot. I'm just, it's out of mm. curiosity. I'm asking these questions and, you know, I'm going to get a little bit stuck still on the gallery model because uh, I just want to understand your view on this. So I think it's refreshing to hear your, your, your standpoint, basically, that you want to create a space that is open to everyone. And, and uh, traditionally, at least the blue ship galleries, um, they, they, they play a role where they are basically handpicking, selecting buyers. I mean, you can't just go into Gagosian and buy, uh, you know, anything you want there you, you have to um, build up a relationship over years and years spend a lot of money um, and that is um, I mean that can be deba debated separately <laughs> you know, that model but um, how hard or not is it actually to find buyers in the Scandinavian space um, I mean that's a really, <laughs> this is like when you want to delay your answer, you always say, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's the same as in any place. It all depends on the relationships you've built, obviously what you're exhibiting. I think the Scandinavian collector, whether they're seasoned, and I've done this for a long time, or Scandinavian, I should say Nordic uh, collector, is incredibly savvy and very well versed um, whether they go to fairs abroad or not or you know travel to to see every biannual i think i can definitely speak for swedes are incredibly attuned to sort of trends whether it is within fashion or uh design or architecture or art food so um yeah you're talking about a very selective and fairly knowledgeable uh, group of people that are interested in buying art. But I think what is fun and perhaps a challenge, but a, an exciting one is the potential to grow or like to expand that group. And I think in, I can only speak for Sweden, but perhaps also uh, Denmark and Norway, that there is a huge interest for people, especially people of slightly younger generations to invest in their homes when or on themselves when it comes to you know fashion and furniture and i don't mm -hmm. know there was a for a while back all the carrera marvel and all of stockholm was was mm -hmm. at was uh was out because everyone was redoing their kitchens 500 times over and i think sort of art and collecting has become the last bastion it's like the last thing that people have have yet to sort of com completely grasp and i think that's i'm looking forward to that it's going to be an interesting transition because I think rather than investing in more things for your home or, and I mean, we're talking also out of a very sort of privileged point of view, but art is something that does not necessarily have to be as expensive as remodeling your home. Art is something that can, you can start with a collect, you can start collecting at any price point mm -hmm. and you can get interested in art at any, 
at any stage in your life. It is not for the young, it's not for the, uh, the, the old, the wealthy, the not wealthy. And that I think is something that is quite unique to, to um, art in that sense. So, I mean, you're obviously in a good position since you've worked so long in the, in the art industry and around the art industry. So starting a gallery uh, where you are in your life, uh, I think makes sense totally. And also, I guess you have built up a huge network, uh, not only of people in the art industry, but also buyers, right? So I, I think um, it's going to be super, super interesting uh, to follow your journey. Uh, but what will happen now? So you're opening basically uh, beginning of September, right? First of September, I think yeah. uh, everyone should have been should have received or will be receiving today the, uh, <laughs> their their invite, including everyone. You. Okay, who is everyone? <laughs> no, but everyone who I've invited, rather, let's put it like that. But I'd say that everyone, including you, like no, it's um, it's uh, yeah, that it opens the first of September. I don't know what what else to say. Okay, and what happens the first of September? Um. The gallery door is open and the inaugural exhibition is with a Swedish-American artist named Tobias Bradford, who lives in, who's based in London. And I have, um, I mean, I have so much belief in all the artists I'm going to be working with, but I'm very excited to be opening with Tobias. I think he has a really long and interesting journey and career ahead of him. Hmm. So, so why did you pick Tobias as the first one? Can you uh, expand a bit on this? Sure. I think um, it's not so much about pick. pick. It's a lot that has to do with timing and sort of dialogue with um, with the artists. And so I've set up sort of a, a plan for, for 2022, 2023 of what, mm. who I'm exhibiting and when. Um, so Tobias recently received the Surprise. Uh, um, on which I was uh, the jury, but um, or part of the jury, he's um, he's had a he's been included in a couple of really interesting group exhibitions, both in New York at a company gallery at the Design Museum in London, and and he's still fairly new and young in his in his career and in age, and now that he did two really interesting installations um, in Örebro at open art during the summer and Arabra was where he's from and I just thought the the timing was right and interesting and he really he really wanted to and I think it's also fun and exciting to open a gallery space with not with something that is installation based and sculpture based and fairly mm-hmm. unconventional in the sense that it's not a oh you go in and you see where you know works hanging on the wall and you go oh great I'll buy that and so um Tobias's work takes demands a lot from from a viewer he makes really um intricate animatronic sculptures that are at times can be perceived as scary other times very comical and fun i think there is a huge amount of levity to his work um so yeah it's perhaps not the most conventional choice but i'm I'm incredibly excited because i think he's he's a brilliant artist I, I was, um, let's say, I, I was surprised, I mean, if I'm totally honest, of, of that kind of first exhibition. And I think that in itself is courageous and it says a lot about you. And it says a lot about the gathering kind of, you know, that you, you are willing to take risks. Um, and of course, it's calculated risks, right? But as you say, you could have uh, opted for, you know, something uh, more commercial, you know, uh, that you easily buy and hang on your wall at home over the sofa or something. Yeah. But so, so that uh, it will be super interesting to experience this live 
so for all the listeners, I guess you're also all invited uh, from 1st of September, <laughs> right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I, may, I might reg- I might regret that, but yeah, it's the uh, 1st of September. Uh, for, uh, we open up, we open the doors at 5 p.m. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I don't know if if this show has such pull, but let's see. Um, exactly, that's what I'm banking on. That that's that. Then I have somebody to blame when when we get mauled. <laughs> okay. So. Um, Looking back at your at your kind of career, if you want to call it that, uh, in the art world, uh, what has been kind of the highlight so far? I mean, of course, starting your own gallery is the highlight, but yeah, previous to that. Um, well, yeah, first and foremost, it would definitely be uh, opening opening my own space. I think that's taken the most work, but also it's been the most fun to date. Um, I think one of the main... Uh, Two early career highlights was definitely I uh, I started out right after university and was a research assistant for Hans Ulrich Obrist at the Serpentine Gallery. Mm. And I was only supposed to stay for a couple of months and then I stayed a year. And it was a real baptism by fire. It was before the Serpentine had expanded. So we sat in a tiny little office in the original building, like on top of the exhibition space. And I, I sat in Hans Ulrich's office. And so I got to know him really, really well. And so, you know, you'll find from his er- very early uh, interview uh, series books, you can hear, there's tapes where you hear me in the background talking about things and, mm. you know, him interviewing artists. And I think for somebody who was fairly young, I was only uh, 20, 21, it was a really interesting time. You know, also like a pre, pre-Instagram time and a pre, yeah. pre-social media mm. and so I'm I'm very fortunate to have been able to have that experience and to be introduced to so many interesting artists and curators only by geography like proximity that I was in the room and then okay. um okay sorry yeah, can, before sorry. You, you go on um how did you end up there like when you grew up was art a natural part of your world or you know how did you kind of get that deep interest and passion um, I, uh, uh, yeah, sure. I come from a family that all were of uh, my immediate family, that all work, uh, within contemporary art in some, in some regard. My, um, my parents um, met at university in New York and opened a gallery mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the 80s and, uh, later moved to Sweden. My father's Swedish and, uh, went on to start an exhibition space in Stockholm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a large Kunsthalle um, and uh, collecting institution, uh, Magazine Three, mm-hmm. and um, and my mother, uh, my mother's an artist, mm-hmm. and uh, my uh, my sister uh, now works as a uh, cultural attaché for uh, the Swedish government in New York, uh, mm-hmm. the Swedish Council, but it was originally a um, she started out as a screenwriter. I don't know. It, now it becomes like a strange family history. But I grew up in a, I grew up in a in an environment that where it was, um, it art and arts and culture was incredibly promoted. I think when people always ask, say like, "Oh, you were so lucky," and it everything came to you, and in the regard of like, you were exposed to things so early. And I I am incredibly lucky. I think the the point of privilege for me was that no one ever said no. This mm-hmm. isn't a good idea. I think when you meet a lot of people who work mm-hmm. within the creative industries, whether it's, you know, theater or film or music, anything, 
they often say like, oh, no one in my family believed or some, sometimes you hear positive stories, but more often than not, especially with art, with uh, people in the art world, it's like, oh, they don't understand. They didn't know what kind of job this was or wh what I was going to do with this. And it felt so insecure. And that I never had. I had a, mm -hmm. I grew up in an environment where everyone was like, yes, this sounds great. Go for it. Mm because they knew it was possible and they understood what it was. And so I wasn't met with resistance. I mean, I'm sure somewhere my parents would have loved for me to become a doctor or a lawyer too, <laughs> but, depends. but I was never, it depends, but, yeah. or I use that in sort of a, in a mm. joking sense, but I, but, and that I was never met with that resistance, but just encouragement. Mm. And that was, um, I was really lucky. I've been really lucky to have that kind of encouragement and support. I mean, for and, and, and this is, uh, I mean, mainly for the listeners that might not know you and your background. So that's why I'm asking these questions. So can you expand a little bit on Magazine 3? Because, I mean, obviously, when Magazine 3 opened as a space in Stockholm, it was something quite uh, new uh, for, for the Scandinavian art scene. Uh, the interrelationship between capital and culture has always, it's always been, a, let's say, a dynamic <laughs> relationship in, in the Scandinavian region. If you go to the US or UK or other markets, um, uh, the, the, let's say the the, the the interplay between uh, the finan the, the financial industry, let's say, and art and culture is, is, is uh, let's say, more apparent. So can you expand a little bit to Magazine Tria, the purpose of that, and, you know, kind of a little bit your view on this? I think I can, I can be more general and I can say that I think it's incredible that Magazine Three exists. And I think that kind of support, whether it's from the private or public sector into institute towards art institutions is incredibly important. And you mentioned something really interesting, which is about how in abroad, there is so it's so much more normal or accepted. Mm. Um, I think a lot has changed. I mean, now if you look at institutions like Sven Harris and Bonnier Konstal mm -hmm. and Stol Collection, there's a, a couple of places uh, popping uh, popping up um, all over. And also, you have other places in Norway and things like that. That um, so it's become more and more normal. I think when Magazine Three started, it was it was considered quite unusual. But that's also because uh, Sweden in general has a relationship with the arts where you avoid the private sector because you, you or you didn't even avoid it you didn't have to because everything was state funded and so we've long um, believed that the relationship uh, that the public should have to culture should be facilitated by the state and that's wonderful because we still live in a country where most art schools are free and there are grants to be applied to and all the and you know funding is pretty um pretty generous, mm -hmm. even though I know it's been going down lately. Um, and people balk at the idea of paying a lot of money to go into an, uh, an institution. I think of, for example, Altipilag, um, which is a private institution, and everyone's like, oh, it's so expensive. And I'm like, yeah, but it's private. They're allowed to do whatever they want. And they put on beautiful exhibitions. I think our expectations are that art is should always be free. And I believe it's it's wonderful when it is. And the more access, the better. But if it's a private institution, then they should also be able to do what they want when it comes to pedagogy, when it comes to pricing and all, yeah. and all things like that. I mean, mm. that's my general view. Of course, I don't think I think it's crazy sometimes to pay a lot of money to go, to go mm. see an exhibition mm. when I'm in New York and you're all of a sudden standing at the MoMA and you have to pay like three, four hundred kroner, you know, the equivalent to get in. And you're like, oh, my God, this is insane. Um, I much prefer what we what the model we have in Sweden, but that is comes from a sort of a, a state funded 
point of view, if you want to call it that. I think I think there's both sides of the coin with everything. But um, to just circle back to your question, uh, I think what Magazine 3 did initially was bring a whole different uh, way, a relationship to of how people could experience um, contemporary art. In, in Stockholm, and then which sort of spilled out into the rest of, of the region. And I think they were, it's something that we see as like commonplace now, but when it started, it was it was really novel and different mm. and super and super daring and have really brought amazing artists and incredible exhibitions to, to Stockholm and to Sweden. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know you that well yet, <laughs> but I mean, the, my, my short summary of your life is that you've always been kind of at the forefront, right? I mean, coming from the upbringing you have, the environment you grew up in, to your first job at Serpentine Gallery, to, you know, it seems like everything that you've done, you've kind of always been at some sort of forefront of art, maybe if it's deliberate. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's deliberate or not, right? Um, would you agree on that or... Uh, is is there something to it? Are you searching for the new new, or is that just um, coincidence? I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I think a lot of things, even though it sounds unbelievable, are sort of happened by chance. Mm-hmm. I remember I graduated. I had done a master's degree in art theory and philosophy, which I mean was super interesting in the in London in the UK at. And then the recession hit 2008 and there wasn't a job to be found crickets, mm. like nothing. And I was like, wow, I just have another degree in something that doesn't lead to an actual <laughs> career or an actual profession. What am I going to do? And, um, and then sent, you know, ferocious amounts of emails around and finally got a answer and went and had the opportunity to move to Venice and work in the Venice Biennial 2009. Mm. And I was Daniel Biermann's assistant. And the pay was terrible. They gave you a phone and a really <laughs> crummy, crummy apartment in Venice where that had like mushrooms growing from the ceiling. But I was in heaven because I was in Venice, which was incredibly exciting. Um, and I was meeting and interacting with artists and I was writing and contributing to the catalog. And that was not something I had planned. I had hoped for a museum. Hoped is, sounds precocious, but I was I was really um, applying to a lot of different museum jobs, and I wanted mm. to stay in a in a place where I had um, you know friends and I had been living for a long time. And instead, I I landed this position for a year in Venice, and it was incredible. And it changed and formed the way I work with artists. And I learned from one of the most seminal curators in the world, which is Daniel Birnbaum, and who's also very kind and generous with his time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really taught me how to put things together and from an exhibition perspective, but also in terms of writing and things like that. And yeah, that wasn't necessarily searching for the new of anything. It was just searching mm. for work. <laughs> and, but, with, but with that said, I'm, I'm really excited in in new and what's new and what's what's happening but i also have a lot of perhaps unpopular opinions i mean i might be taking a a real leap now but you know this new nft fad i 
I'm really skeptical about. Like, there's a lot of things. It's not like everything is like, oh my God, I, I want to be there and I have to be at the forefront of it everything's happening. Mm. I was actually talking about this last night when I was at a dinner with some some people and it was really interesting and everyone was like, oh, tell us and you have a website and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, honestly, I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't even have a website. I want a, ga- I want a gallery space. I want to do exhibitions. But if I could, I'd skip the website. I'd skip the social mm. media. I'd skip all of that because it's, it's just noise. So, it's, but at the same time, it's a wonderful tool, and you you see a lot of new things quickly. And so, it's a push and pull. But no, it's never been my my main goal to be like where the action is. Mm. Quite the opposite. Why, why is it? Why is it the fad on NFTs? You said oh, actually, I don't NFT know. fad. <laughs> I really think it is though. Mm. I, I I mean, I think it's a longer discussion, and I'm 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 wary of saying too much because I'll probably okay. Exactly. We get a lot. <laughs> the elevator pitch why nfts are a fat be there is no shame quite the opposite in in profiting of of creative industries i mean i'm opening a gallery i to, i totally i totally believe in it however if the goal is not about exhibiting and production and creating dialogue but if the goal is more often than not just about the profit If that's what guides you rather than the art, I question it. Okay, so what okay, so the way I interpret that is that you are not a believer in the mechanisms of the NFT, let's say, uh, market space that we have seen in the past two years. However, you might not, let's see, be an opponent to NFTs technically speaking, as a way of constructing new uh tokens uh, contracts uh transparency in 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 the supply and value chain and i mean it gives the the owner of an art piece more control uh of the commercial parts as well right and and that technology can and should and is starting to also be applied in the traditional art industry right so let's not talk about nft art that we have seen, you know, uh, in in the past uh, year and a half, kind of, but more kind of the the technology behind that. What do you think Absolutely. about that? Absolutely, and I find the technology and the uh, the sort of the avenues in which we can like search for new uh, to experience new things incredibly exciting, and where that will lead us and what kind of boundaries that could break, super fascinating. Um, but I think it also comes with a lot of questionable behavior in terms mm. of inflating prices and selling things and what are, what is value and sort of artistic integrity, not to mention the amount of like slightly icky conspiracy theorist vibes you sometimes find with a lot of people that deal in uh, not only NFTs, but in like all these kind of um, Ethereum and Bitcoin, like all these like alternate uh, cryptocurrencies. And and you meet people that have a very healthy relationship to it. But I've also met people when they start really sharing, I, I go, wow, mm, I don't know. Mm. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Yeah. Listen, I mean, uh, we don't have uh, time to expand on this. Uh, it is a fascinating topic. And I, I uh, of course, uh, both follow this topic a lot and work within this field as well in parts um as a kind of a bystander to the art industry uh 
I think that also there is a huge unhealthiness in how the whole art industry functions as well, especially in the blue ship space uh, and, and auction house space with inflated art prices. And so mm. I, th- th- that kind of um, pattern that you see in, in the NFT art space, uh, you can also see in the traditional art uh, world. Um, oh, I'm not I'm not saying that no. that that what we have or what we've had is perfect or some way in some way superior. I'm just, I don't know. I, I, I question a lot of aspects of, of where we're going in general mm. when it comes to, to sort of creative industries. Yeah. And, and yet I'm so opening healthy. a gallery and, and, I, yeah. and yet I'm opening a gallery and I totally believe in it. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's healthy to question things. And, and that's also what I appreciate with you in, in that you also have this role as kind of a, as a writer, as an editor. Uh, I mean, in, in that role, you, you need to kind of enter more of a, I mean, you need to reflect, you need to um, explore, you need to st- try to predict or guess the future. I mean, so I really appreciate that part of, of, of your kind of, um, of what you do as well. Um, I actually noticed that uh, time is running out. Uh, and, uh, but uh, what I realized is that we definitely need to have you on the show again. Uh, to expand oh, more uh, on, on uh, various parts of the art industry. But um, maybe to start um, start to close, <laughs> yeah. what would you say um, if you are a, uh, a listener that have an interest in art, you, uh, let's say you get scared by the mechanisms of the art industry as we have talked about, because it is scary, uh, it's, it's sometimes blurry, a lot of gray zones. <laughs> it's hard to to get access to the best art and artists because of the the way the galleries uh, gallery system is is constructed, etc. What are let's say the tips that you can give a first time buyer of contemporary art? Um, buy for buy for passion, buy for taste, not for investment purposes. Um, especially at least in, in if you're if you're starting out. If you're lucky, you'll buy something that increases in value as well. But it should really be about what you're, what you like, and what speaks to you. Um, I think leave the leave the the sort of panhandling and money making to 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 like dealers and stuff in the art industry, especially in the beginning. If you just start, you want to start collecting, but if um, you don't have a collection, you might not even be able to buy something because the galleries will say no because you don't have an important collection so how how do you Uh, get around that through the needle eye of the gallery system i think that's very individual i think also what you're talking about is a perception that it's so hard to buy i think especially if we're talking local in stockholm if you go to some great galleries and say hey i'm really interested I, I I would be surprised if, if any of my future colleagues or current colleagues would say, no, it's not available. Um, yeah, we, we, you spoke about like Gagosian or Hauser & Bierk and like these really big blue chip galleries, but the whole mechanism behind a blue chip gallery is just as much as about creating a club of inclusion and exclusion than it is about the art. But if we're, if we're starting more locally in Scandinavia, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I would say for someone who's starting out to, to be interested in art and maybe not necessarily even buy in the beginning, go and see as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
start reading, whether it's in the daily newspaper, you don't have to start with an art forum or a freeze magazine. Mm. There's loads of loads of things in between. I love the mm. culture section in the New York Times or uh, things that are, you know, an easy bridge. Um, I like Art Lover, the magazine that is, mm -hmm. um, that's in Swedish. I think they do a really nice coverage of what's going on in not only in Sweden or in Scandinavia, but all over the world and make it very accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so go start looking. Not only don't only go to Madonna Masiet, but always go <laughs> always go to Madonna Masiet. But expand your your purview. Um, there are some great institutions outside of uh, Stockholm, and I'm not only talking about Madonna Malmo or the mm. Kunst Museum. I mean, expand your horizons. There's a, a really great Kunst Museum in Örebro. Uppsala does fantastic contemporary exhibitions. I mean, there's stuff that's only a train ride away and not expensive to, to, for an entrance ticket. Um, go to galleries, they're for free, just to look. You don't mm -hmm. have to like everything, but you should see a lot because I think the more informed you are, the more informed decisions you'll make and strike up a conversation. Um, a lot, and most times you'll go into a gallery, the gallerist will wanna talk to you and come and, and, and tell you about the exhibition. Um, so that's where I would start. It's just about like, you know, not necessarily gaining access, but gaining knowledge. And if you're excited and interested by it, then, then you can start talking about prices. If there's something you want, you like to see. I also love, um, I know I'm being slightly, I'm, I'm going on, but I love that there are, uh, places I think about socks and Sveriges and Almana Konstverening that do like editions that are mm -hmm. fairly inexpensive that you can, that you, you know, you email them. Hopefully they'll have something left because they only do small, like limited batches, but they do great editions. You can start being editions and prints. Um, I would say go directly to the gallery, to the artist rather than an auction house, because it's important to mm -hmm. keep them, um, to keep the uh, sort of artist and the art industry afloat in that sense. And so even though I think secondary market is a wonderful place to find, to find work and things for, to collect as well. Um, yeah, editions, uh, like as I know Art Lover just did a, a small release of uh, editions with a wonderful Swedish artist named Elizabeth Fiddleberg. So there's a lot of places mm -hmm. in which you can find um, things that are less expensive or that perhaps don't have the same sort of um, uh, barrier to somebody who has never uh, bought a piece of a piece of art before. Mm. But um, yeah, look and read. That would be my yeah. first my first go to. I mean, a lot of really good tips for not only first time buyers, but generally buyers or people interested <laughs> in art. So Saskia Neumann, <clears throat> thank you so much for uh, joining the, the show uh, today, the, the, the episode. Uh, Saskia Norman Gallery opens September 1st. What is the address? Linnegatan 19 in Stockholm. Okay, Central Stockholm, Östermalm. Um, congratulations again. I see you at the opening. Hope we have a lot of listeners coming as well. If not at the opening, maybe later. Um, so this was uh, episode uh, six of Konst. It's a podcast by Scandinavia Mind about contemporary future art, the interconnection with society, culture, technology, finance, and lifestyle. My name is Rola Flip Kretschma, and thank you for listening to us today. And thank you, Saskia. Thank you for having me.
Oh, oh, oh.